the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast is an authentic space to talk about life and truth and love. This podcast has evolved, which is no surprise to me, because when you choose to live authentically, you experience a lot of change. Thankfully, it's always a positive change, because when you ditch the coulds and shoulds and let God lead, the outcome is always beautiful. This podcast started as a resource for recovering perfectionist, but has expanded into a place for all to come and be themselves, share their struggles and their victories, giving God the glory along the way. Our world today suffers from an excessive amount of pressure on all sides that leave an individual feeling overwhelmed, burnt out, and eventually hopeless. My guests and myself have experienced all these feelings at one time or another, which is why these stories and encouragements will inspire and uplift you. Hi friends, welcome to season three of the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast. Season three has something extra special just for you. Along with the interviews you love from my authentic guest, you will have the opportunity to listen to the new free audio version of my newest book, The Relevant Old Testament, Illuminating Lessons from Imperfect People. I was inspired to create this audio version for those who want to listen during their commute or while doing the dishes. It is still recommended to sit down when you get a chance and go through this Bible study book as it involves a lot of one-on-one writing time with God. But I believe you will find this audio version helpful as you get started. Each chapter will be recorded as its own episode. Please feel free to share the listening links with your friends. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Relevant Old Testament, Chapter 2, Noah Corruption The story of Noah takes place in Chapter 6 of Genesis. During Noah's time, everyone was evil except Noah. They were all corrupt and thought wrong things every minute of the day. As bad as it seems here today, I would never want to live in the time of Noah. It seems utterly awful. God chose Noah to build an ark and redeem his family and two of every living creature while wiping everything else out. Read and record. Read about the corruption of humanity in Genesis 6, 1 through 8. Write down words or phrases that stand out to you. Or better yet, write down any questions that arise. So I'm going to read Genesis 6, 1 through 8 for you. The Corruption of Mankind Now when it came about, when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his day shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And that finishes the scripture reading. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. 
Genesis 6, 3-4. All of this sounds like God was fed up, but more importantly, look at what God did. He shortened their lives, and he wiped all the evil off the earth. I have wondered about the plants and animals because it didn't seem necessary to kill off all those living creatures, except the two of each kind that were spared in the ark. They weren't human, so it would seem to reason that they couldn't be evil. My thought is that God started with a clean slate because he could, and because maybe he didn't want any creatures or plants tainted with the sin of men he was wiping out. As I've gotten to know the character of God, that seems like a reasonable hypothesis. God hates sin, and it's important you know that. God's grace doesn't mean he bends the rules for sin. God is very clear that the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, and that God can have no part of sin because he is perfect, holy, and pure, Habakkuk 1.13. If we are to take anything from the story of Noah, it should be that God doesn't tolerate sin, but he does redeem those who love him. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, The sons of God were not divine. They were demon-controlled. They married as many women as they wished to satisfy their baser instincts. They were just another low order of creatures, though powerful and demon-influenced. Children of these marriages, despite pagan ideas, were not god-kings, though heroes and men of renown. They were flesh, and they died in due course, like all members of the human race. When God judges the world, as he was about to, no giant, no deity, no human has any power against him. God simply allows one's days and brings his end. Walford John F. Have you ever read or seen the movie The Hobbit? When I read about these Nephilim, I picture them looking like the giants from that story, which we know are fictional. But these large creatures were real, and they gave in to wickedness. The whole earth was wicked, except Noah. Genesis 6-5 says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Imagine how bad that must have been. I understand that I'm emphasizing the wickedness of the earth at this time, and it feels negative, but I promise I have a reason for doing so. The reason is so that we can understand the magnitude of God's redemption. These two verses have confused many, so let's clarify what they mean. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animal, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Genesis 6, 6-8 I have learned that the Lord being sorry did not mean he regretted his actions or wanted to change his mind. In some translations, that's exactly what it sounds like, such as in the NIV. It's crucial when you see a word like regret paired with God that you pause and investigate. To imply that God has regrets in the way we understand regret 
is to imply that he is imperfect, and that cannot be the case. The Lord being sorry means that he grieved for humanity because of what he would have to do to them. Sin pains God, and he can have nothing to do with it. He has to separate from sin. Redemption Noah walked with God. He was considered blameless in his time, righteous. Noah was not among the wicked, and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. My little perfectionistic heart wants these titles so badly. Blameless, righteous, a woman who walks with God. The good news is, these are already my titles under the blood of Jesus, and they are yours too if you choose to receive them. I'm not sure if any other characters of the Bible got a remark as Noah did. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. How amazing is this? God gave him so many detailed instructions, and Noah faithfully carried them out. When we get to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you'll see this obedience level was not always the case. Read and record. Read Genesis 6, 11 through 13, and circle or underline any form of the word corrupt or violence. How would you summarize these three verses? So I'm going to read these for you right now. Genesis 6, 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. That's the end of the quote. What are God's instructions to Noah in verse 14 to 22? Use the space to write them down. So I will read 14 to 22. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and finish it to a cubit from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower second and third decks. Behold, I even am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, 
Take for yourself some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. From what you've read so far, what are your thoughts of Noah? Does he seem like an obedient fellow or one who struggles with surrender? In chapter 7, we see that the ark is now built. Read Genesis chapter 7 and answer the following questions. So now I will read Genesis chapter 7 for you. The Flood Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every clean animal by sevens, the male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female, also the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean, and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. It came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened. The rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah, by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. 
The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. Of all that was on dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So here's our questions. What does God tell Noah to do? What will happen next? How old was Noah when the flood started? Did Noah accomplish all that God had asked him to do? Did Noah have to collect the animals? For how many days did the rain fall? Who closed the door? What happened during those 40 days? Besides those that were in the ark with Noah, did any survive? In chapter 8, the flood subsides. Read Genesis chapter 8 and answer the following questions. So now I will read for you chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from the sky was restrained, and the water receded steadily from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the water decreased. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. The water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Then it came about at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. So she returned to him into the ark. For the water was on the surface of the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark himself. So he waited yet another seven days and again he sent out a dove from the ark. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. Now it came about in the six hundred and first year in the first month, 
On the first of the month, the water was dried up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the surface of the ground was dried up. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth, and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And that is the end of chapter 8. List the events that happen in verses 1 through 12 as they happen. We know when Noah entered the ark in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were open. Genesis 7:11. When did Noah finally step out of the ark? So everyone and everything exited the ark. What did Noah do next? Write down God's covenant with Noah here. Read chapter 9 and record your observations below or in a separate notebook. So now I will read Genesis chapter 9 for you, Covenant of the Rainbow. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely, I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah, 
and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you. Of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and all the flesh shall never again be cut off by water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you, for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of the flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. Now the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Noah lived three hundred and fifty years after the flood. So all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. So that is the end of chapter 9. What was the visible sign that God sent to seal his covenant with Noah? What did God tell them in verses 1 and 7? Does it sound familiar to you? Yes, it's the same command God gave Adam and Eve in Genesis 1.28. How long did Noah live after the flood? How long did he live altogether? Let's relate. Do you believe you would have been as faithful as Noah if God asked you to build an ark? I imagine that Noah probably had seasons of weariness during this project, 
Those emotions aren't given to us, but it's a reasonable assumption. And while we don't have the exact number of years that it took for Noah to build the ark, we know that it was between 55 to 75 years because of the birth and ages of his children. Imagine how much doubt or weariness you might encounter while you're working on this ark. We don't have a record of God telling Noah when the flood would come and wipe out all living things. We just know he told Noah it would happen. During that time, I'm sure Noah must have asked God things like, Are you sure you want me to build this ginormous boat even though I don't even know what a boat is? because I've never seen a body of water bigger than a spring shooting up from the ground. <laughs> I think we can all relate to doubt and weariness. I know I can. It's an ugly weed that will take over your life if you don't pluck it out by the root and fill it up with truth. Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 9 to not become weary in doing good because he knew how likely it was. I believe Noah had to remind himself of God's promise because what reason would he have to obey God for 75 years and work on this ark if he didn't believe God? The obedience of Noah is so inspiring and so encouraging, especially when we get impatient with our microwaves. Am I right? But to have the faith and obedience that Noah displayed would be an amazing honor. Thankfully, God has helped me to become more patient with his perfect timing and more obedient. I remember the days when I would pretend I didn't hear the Holy Spirit tell me to do something. I would rationalize the prompting away with things like, well, I don't know how to do that. That's not my strength. Or, I'm sure someone else can do it better. Now, no matter what God asks me to do, I do it even if I have no experience. I confirm through prayer and scripture what he wants me to do, and then I ask him to lead me through step by step. That's how this book came to be, step by step. Thoughtful pause. Has God called you to do something that doesn't seem to make sense or feel scary? My guess is yes. So let me encourage you to go to God in prayer and ask him to confirm what he's called you to do. Then tell him you'll obey. I promise he won't leave you to figure it out on your own. Remember, Noah didn't have to wrangle up all the animals. That would have been very challenging. Remember, Noah didn't have to wrangle up all the animals. That would have been a very challenging task. I say more challenging than building an ark. God led the animals to Noah, and he made sure they all remained peaceable upon the ark. If animals had attacked and eaten each other, they would have never survived to repopulate the earth. So let this encourage you. God will always provide everything you need to accomplish the work he's called you to do. And that is the end of chapter two. I hope you'll tune in when I record chapter three, Abraham and Sarah. 
friends. I'm so glad you've been enjoying the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast and wanted you to know that if you'd like to support and help share its uplifting message, you can leave a positive review on Apple or Spotify. To donate 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month, simply click the anchor link in the notes of this show. Once you're on the Anchor homepage of the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast, click the middle button that says support and select your amount and enter your info. It's quick and easy and will make a great impact on the lives of my family. Thanks for being with me today. Let's keep practicing saying no to perfect and yes to truth. Take care. Thank you.